This week's episode is brought to you by More Cute Stories Volume 6, Knott's Berry Tales. Here, Rolly Crumb talk about the creation of Knott's Berry Tales with, for the first time anywhere, a completely remastered audio ride-through. You can find it on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And better not George. What? Bedded milkshake. Wait, is that Spanish or Italian? I don't know what you said. I don't remember. Oh no. I thought oh, you said no. Buenos Noches, but Buenos thought, Noches well, no. is definitely Spanish. That's Spanish, yeah. But but maybe I was trying to say something in Italian, but it came out oh, Spanish like, by accident. Oh, like say like it's like Bella Note. That's yeah. like you know from Lady and the Tramp. Okay, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. We'll go with that. That okay, was that's sure. what I was going with. I was trying to tie it in with the history because you know we're probably going to pronounce every single word wrong <laughs> in the history. Because so. then it wouldn't be Communicore Weekly. That's true. That's pretty much our trademark. TM exactly. Copyright. Communicore Weekly. <laughs> mispronouncing words <laughs> since 2012 <laughs> well dropping t's and dropping g's and dropping letters things? in between you got it so all right yeah we're not getting anywhere fast so let's <laughs> let's just do it <laughs> it's time for disney history one of the most gorgeous pavilions in all of epcot is italy and with so many beautiful locations scattered around the actual country, such as uh, Rome, Milan, Naples, Florence, and more, Imagineers really had a wealth of inspiration from which to draw. But they opted to base the pavilion on Romantic Venice. Known as La Serenissima, the most serene, uh, Venice has been uh, a focal point for travelers for a very long time, uh, from the merchants of times past to the tourists of today. So Venice is a city dominated by water. Within its 212 square miles are 117 islands, all united through a series of bridges and the famous canals of Venice. Epcot's Imagineers utilized the World Showcase Lagoon to allude to Venice's maritime environment, creating the <clears throat> Isola del Lago, or the Isle of the Lake, complete with bridges, gondolas, and the barbershop-like mooring posts seen throughout the city. Italian towns and villages center on the piazza, or the public square. The, Ita uh, the Italy Pavilion's piazza is based on Piazza San Marco, or St. Mark's Square. Named for the Basilia, Basilia whatever, Basilian <laughs> San Marco, my bad, uh, which can be found on, found on the east side of the piazza, the square in Venice was constructed in the 9th century as a small grassy area adjoining St. Mark's Basilia with fruit trees and a canal called the Rio Batorio. Uh, the canal was filled in and the plaza extended in 1174, and then later paved in 1267, ultimately becoming a favorite area for uh, Venetian merchants to ply their wares. So tourists who had traveled to Venice's piazza may note that Epcot's version is 
backwards. Had the piazza been portrayed as it actually stands in Venice, the buildings of the Italy Pavilion, coupled with the American Adventure Pavilion, would have created a very unbalanced silhouette. So Epcot's Imagineers opted to create a mirror image of St. Mark's Square. St. Mark the Evangelist, also known as St. Mark the Apostle, became the city's patron saint in the mid-19th century, when the remains of the saint were taken by Venetian merchants from his tomb in Alexandria, Egypt, to their homeland. And according to legend, their ship was about to be lost in a storm, when the apparition of St. Mark appeared to the merchants, telling them to lower their sails and thus survive the tempest. Upon their safe return to Venice, St. Mark was elected as the city's new patron, replacing St. Theodore, Venice's original patron saint, which kind of sounds like the beginning plot of like a revenge flick for some reason. Yeah, I was like, how sad is that to no longer be a patron saint of a city? Yeah, it's weird, right? And can't you have like more than one, maybe? Uh, who knows? Ah, I He's don't just know. collecting cities left and right. That's what I do. Okay, so both of these saints are honored both in Venice and in the Italy Pavilion. Just as in St. Mark's Square in Venice, the pavilion boasts two tall columns. Originally, three columns were to be transported to Venice from the Lebanese city of Tyre in 1125, but one was lost at sea. Coincidentally, the two remaining columns displayed statues honoring the city's two patron saints. The Statue of a Lion sits proudly atop one column, and the lion is not only the symbol of Venice, but also its patron, St. Mark. The winged lion can be found on buildings and structures throughout the city of Venice, with his paw on an open book bearing the Latin words, Pax Tibi Mars Evangelista Minus. And even though I badly butchered that, it's supposed to mean, <laughs> Peace be with you, Mark my Evangelist. The second column supports a statue of San Teodoro, or Saint Theodore, the original patron saint of the city. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the city itself. So Saint Theodore was a fourth-century Roman soldier who, as a devout Christian, refused to worship or offer sacrifices to the Roman gods, and also set fire to a temple dedicated to the gods, the goddess Cybele. He was captured, imprisoned, and martyred so his beliefs, or for his beliefs. And images of St. Theodore typically show him conquering a dragon or a crocodile, just like it occurs in both Venice and the Italy Pavilion. This symbolizes St. Theodore achieving victory over evil. Like the Piazza in Venice, a focal point of the Italy Pavilion is the Palazzo Ducal, or Doge's Palace. The Doge was the leader of the Venetian Republic and not that funny dog meme that you see that's on the internet say, these days. That's, that's so many memes, so many saints. Yeah, much Italy, so pizza. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was elected from Venice's nobility and held the position until his death. The position was created in the 7th century and lasted until 1797 when uh, Ludovico Menon ab uh, abdicated the position after Venice was conquered by uh, Napoleon. The Doge's Palace, which was replicated in very intricate detail for the Italy Pavilion, was built between 1340 and 1565. Besides serving as the Doge's residence, the Doge's Palace also acted as a center of political activity for the Venetian Republic. The real palace, as a government building, actually dates far back, as the 9th century, but nothing remains from that original structure. After Venice fell to Napoleon's army, the palace was utilized for government offices. In 1932, the palace was placed into the charge of Venice's city council to be maintained as a public museum, and in 1996, it became part of the Civic Museums of Venice. Uh, one other landmark of St. Mark's Square found its place in the Italy Pavilion, through, uh, uh, even though it's at one-fifth of its actual height of 323 feet tall, and that's the, uh, the Campanile Bell Clock Tower. 
Now, the original Campanile was erected in the 9th century and has survived a number of reconstructions, the last of which was in the early 20th century. And it was rebuilt uh, throughout the 12th and 14th centuries, then once again renovated in the early 1500s after it was completely destroyed by an earthquake. It was then that the Campanile took its present form uh, and was topped with a golden angel. The Campanile collapsed completely in July 1902. Um, while repairing mortar on the tower, workmen discovered significant cracking in the structure. Not long after, the entire Campanile crumbled, but was rebuilt and reopened in 1912. So Epcot's version of it is a painstakingly accurate replica of the Venetian structure, even to the gold-leaf-painted angel serenely overlooking the pavilion. Incidentally, back in Venice, the five bells of the Campanile once served specific purposes, to signal each hour, as well as the beginning and ending of a workday to call senators and magistrates to the court at the Doge's palace, and to even inform the public of uh, execution of criminals. Uh, that doesn't happen at uh, Epcot, though. Um, that would well, be weird. Yeah, the bells ring when it's time for your fast pass. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and though it's now largely part of history, the bells are still rung as a tourist attraction in Venice. So farther back in the pavilion, the fountain and statue are a popular location for photographs. Fountains are a common sight in the city squares of Venice, and Epcot's Fontana di Nettuno, or the Fountain of Neptune, the ancient Roman god of the sea, would be at home in any piazza in Italy. While not a copy of any particular work, the fountain is representative of the style of Gian Lorenzo Bernini, one of the most highly regarded sculptures sculptors of the 17th century, and who is often credited as having developed the Baroque style of sculpture. Fountains are among his most famous pieces, and his work include uh, Baracacchia, uh, the longboat, uh, Fontana del Triton, the Triton Fountain, and Fontana di Quattro Fiumi, uh, the Fountain of the Four Rivers. Rivers, I'm sorry. The Baracacchia uh, in 1629 was commissioned by Pope Urban VIII in order uh, in honor of the restoration of the uh, one of the aqueducts providing Rome with clean drinking water. And the Triton uh, Fountain was completed in 1643 for another of the Roman aqueducts, uh, the Aqu Aquia Felice. And the Fontana di Quattro Fiumi was commissioned by Pope Innocent uh, X for his palace overlooking the Piazza Niava in Rome. So did Pope Urban, I guess, lived in the city? Uh, sure. I guess. I'm I so know. confused. I know. There were so many great memes that could have come out of that entire paragraph. <laughs> yes. Yes, there was. Exactly. Okay, so, so guests visiting the pavilion for shopping will discover a wealth of lovely wares within, uh, with an Italian flair. Uh, in Il Bel Cristallo, guests will find crystal and porcelain pieces and Murano glass bottles and beads. La Bottega Italiana offers ornate decorative masks, kitchenware, and Italian food products, including chocolate and wine. This is two of our favorite things. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Sure, okay. So the Italy Pavilion also boasts some of the most popular restaurants in Epcot. Tutto Italia Ristorantes menu includes a variety of favorites, such as minestrone soup, lasagna, spaghetti, cannoli, and tiramisu. The cuisine of southern Italy can be found across the way at Via Napoli Ristorante Pizzeria, as well as a variety of authentic Neapolitan wood-fired pizzas, both on the menu and made to order. And for a quick, sweet treat, guests flock to the gelato kiosk for light Italian ice cream or perhaps even a cup of espresso, but not me because then that will keep me up all night and <laughs> make me a little hyper and I know we don't want to see that. No, we don't. No. 
So street performers are quite popular in Italy, and Epcot has brought their own engagement entertainment to the World Showcase. Part mime, part juggler, and part clown, Sergio has long delighted guests with his thrilling antics, often drawing his audience into the act. And also, the Italy Pavilion has introduced one of Epcot's newest performance experiences recently, uh, called the Chandoristora di Sanzariscorpo. I don't know. I totally butchered that. I'm sorry. A witch, but it's an ensemble made up of two drummers, three trumpet players, and four flag twirlers. And it's based on both old and relatively newer traditions in Italy. Man, maybe they should run these words names by us uh, before they approve before it. they use them so it's gonna be so hard for us to do these histories if the words are so anyway so so during the middle ages flag bearers were an essential part of armies leading the men to war while carrying flags that were used to signal the soldiers these flags contained blades thus being used for battle as well as for symbolizing their troops when not engaged in fighting the flag teams would work to hone their skills and eventually they developed precision routines in 1953, the Societa di Balestieri, a crossbow association in the Italian city of San Sepulcro, brought back the old tradition for their annual tournament, forming the, the Gruppo Spanditori San Sepulcro, consisting of drums, trumpets, and twirlers using hand-painted flags. Since then, the evening of every second Saturday in September is devoted to the Ghiacci de Bandiera, or the flag games. Hmm. So this group, this group whose name I so brutally butchered, uh, they actually started their performances in October 2014 in Epcot. And the ensemble follows their format with uh, intricate flag spinning routines accompanied by trumpets and drums in the center of the pavilion. And like Sergio, they perform several times throughout the day. So the Italy Pavilion is always at the forefront of Epcot's special events throughout the year. Autano, or autumn brings the food and wine festival and is Italy's and Italy's booth is a perennial favorite with savory pastas and sparkling prosecco with inverno or winter comes Natalia Christmas and La Bifania the good Christmas witch and uh, they regale younger guests with her tales of leaving gifts for well-behaved children on the eve of epiphany as primavera spring arrives so does the International Flower and Garden Festival, and guests can expect to see topiaries of Lady and the Tramp gracing the Italy Pavilion for the duration of the festival, but we didn't talk about summer. I guess that just brings sweat. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's all That's they not, have okay. there in yeah. Italy. Okay. So, regardless of the season and the reason for being drawn into delectable aromas from its popular restorita, uh, the colorful merchandise and its enticing merchacata, and the exciting performances of the talented artists, or the authentic architecture, you know, everything else I'm butchering about it, <laughs> a delightful palette of experiences await guests at Epcot's Italian uh, Pavilion. And it is pretty cool. It's probably one of my favorites just to, like, wander around in. It is, yeah, I like that one too. So, But we want to know what's your thought about the Italy Pavilion at Epcot Center. Give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. So remember those Choose Your Own Adventure books? Well, imagine one that sort of mixes a little bit of Doctor Who, just a little bit, and the world of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. So the book we're talking about this week is actually subtitled An Unpossible Adventure with Over 25 Endings. And with the release of the latest Wonderland film, we were wondering, 
if this is a book that you should pick up. You know, to be honest, I wasn't the biggest fan of the first Tim Burton-helmed Alice film, and rumor <laughs> has it that the new one isn't any better, honestly, but I am a sucker for choose-your-own-adventure books, so count me on board for this gimmick. And to go even further, you even had uh, four different stories to check out in this book, each offering their own take on the new film. Yeah, so you can choose to be Alice, Johnny Depp, the White Queen, or the Red-Headed One. You know, <laughs> the one that's in every single Tim Burton film ever. That's right. So, yeah, that's it. So basically, you just pick one of the characters and you start the story. You follow that character's storyline and you get to make a choice several times based on a plot point. And if you make the incorrect choice, you don't die. You know, it's not that bad. But then you have to go back to the beginning. So it sort of could be like dying? Maybe. Maybe. Reset um, button. Yeah, and there's also something that's pretty unique about this title and, and the choices itself. Yeah, my, my issue is that when you make a choice, you expect to go on this like grand alternate path uh, than what the movie followed. But instead, you basically just reach a dead end and you have to go back. So it's not really a choose-your-own-adventure in my book. Uh, it, you know, it's you pick the right choice or you're wrong and the story ends. I don't know. <laughs> it's like listening to Communicore Weekly. Yes, basically. Exactly. But, but you no, chose was... to listen, so that's on you guys. <laughs> well, we chose to make... Anyway, so what I was really talking about was that you actually had to turn the book upside down occasionally to read it. Oh, okay, that too. Yeah, that's another yeah, thing that yeah, they okay, did. Yeah, okay, so... So obviously, the book is written and designed for tweens and teens that have a very heavy interest in the film. And I do agree with Jeff that the choices were way too limited, but they were sticking to the storyline for the film. I guess they had to. And I think I like the storyline better than the first film, but I really can't say until I see the movie, which probably won't happen until it's released on Blu-ray. You know, that said, I liked all the side stories better than the actual main Alice story. Um, you know, exploring the other characters and their lives, even with the very limited choices you were given, was insanely more interesting than anything Alice was doing. Yeah, and insane's a good word. Yes. But, but, but if you do read Alice first, then you're going to know most of the choices that need to be made for the other characters. Spoilers. Exactly. So start with one of the other three first. Um, getting an insight, though, into the Hatter and the White and Red Queen as actually was fairly interesting and could make the the movie i think much more palatable maybe yeah yeah but you know overall if you're in that age bracket that the book is aimed at and you're like choosing your own adventure then this will probably be a good book for you but if you're us then maybe pass on it for now and you know let your kids read it instead let them tell you about it exactly so this week's book was alice through the looking glass a matter of time you don't know what you know till we know you. You, know, you just don't know. There's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. In 1799, 12-year-old Conrad Reed was fishing in Little Meadow Creek in Cabarrus County, North Carolina, when he found a 17-pound gold nugget. So news of the discovery spread and many people migrated into the area, which led to additional gold strikes in the area near Charlotte, North Carolina. And by the early 1820s, the pursuit of gold in the Carolinas had become a major enterprise and led to one of the region's largest population booms. So the Carolina Gold Rusher roller coaster, built by Aerodynamics at Carowinds in 1973, was named in honor of the gold rush in North Carolina. Now we know you. 
Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. The new Disney Springs at Walt Disney World has a wealth of five-legged goats, some of them tying some of the old downtown Disney venues into this brand new story. For example, Cirque du Soleil's La Nuba has been, in, has been there since uh, 1998, but a new detail has actually emerged about it. So around the town center, there are posters for the town centennial, which happened in 1950. And on one poster for it in the Deluxe Burger Place, there's a circus tent featured on the poster. Uh, kind of, it's kind of the main thing. But the tent is actually in the form of the Cirque du Soleil venue at Disney Springs. So it kind of like brings the old venue into the new story and you know pretend it's been there since 1950. It's kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. I have to admit, I am super impressed with all the Disney Springs stuff. It looks pretty neat. The stuff's coming out it of it. It looks really good. So I can't wait until we make our crowdfunded trip down there yeah so that maybe or something wow <laughs> but just to disney springs no just else. to disney springs and that's all we're and gonna by do, crowdfunded so. we mean you give us money so we can buy things <laughs> exactly that, that's all we need actually yep um i was gonna have a segue about the deluxe prize this week but i sort of ruined that talking about just going down there so <laughs> yeah hey well, that means okay. it's time for the year of a million or so limited time cadets hooray Yay. george how do, how do people enter this this contest they enter it by emailing Weekly at gmail.com with their name, address, and birthday. I was going to say phone number. We phone number? Phone I mean, number. they can give us their phone number, too. They give us their phone number. We'll just prank call them, won't we? That's fine. We can do that. Matt, we want to do that. So name, address, and phone number to Weekly at gmail.com, and you, too, can be part of our weekly prize giveaway. Hooray! And this is your week. This is a Communicore Weekly prize pack, right? It is. It is. Okay. okay. So this week's winner of the CW prize pack is Christian S. from El Paso, Texas. Yay. Hooray. I wonder if they make good salsa in El Paso. I hear the stars are not at night are big and bright. <laughs> Deep in the heart of Texas? Deep in the heart of El Paso, Texas. Indeed. Oh, I should have added that. But, okay. you know, but you know, Donnie, I'm a blogger, not a rebel. <laughs> or something like that. Um, well, I guess this means we are at the end of another episode of Communicore Weekly. So thank you so much for watching and listening. Yeah, however you listen to the show, whether it's on YouTube, leave us a comment, or if you get it on iTunes, uh, leave us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. You can always email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com just to say hi or enter our weekly contest. And you can also like us at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly where we're always posting stuff during the week. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope because you never know when we're going to be live somewhere. I'm always at Imaginerding, and he's always at Jeff Heinbach. And feel free to give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat line at 424-785-4628. And visit the Communa store at CommunicoreWeekly.com where you can pick up some awesome, awesome t-shirts and other things. And other things, yes. And other things. And there's still plenty, still plenty, plenty of time, plenty of time, time to get, get your official cadet membership card and stick on by sending a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And you can always visit patreon.com slash Weekly to find out how you two can support the greatest online show. And for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Jeep.